What's working on purpose anyway? Each week we ponder the answer to this question. People ache for meaning and purpose at work, to contribute their talents passionately and know their lives really matter. They crave being part of an organization that inspires them and helps them grow into realizing their highest potential. Business can be such a force for good in the world, elevating humanity. In our program, we provide guidance and inspiration to help usher in this world we all want, working on purpose. Now, here is your host, Dr. Elise Cortez. Welcome back to the Working on Purpose program. Thanks for tuning in again this week. Great to have you. I'm your host, Dr. Elise Cortez, joining you live from Dallas, which is home base for me. If you don't know me yet, I'm a management consultant specializing in meaning and purpose, organizational logotherapist, inspirational speaker, social scientist, and author. My team and I help companies discover and articulate their purpose and embed it into their culture and operations. We work with forward-thinking or forward-reaching organizations to develop inspirational leaders who create cultures where people actually want to come to work and do their best. And we provide programs like the Grab Your Gusto that enable individual team members to discover and unleash their passion and purpose at work to catalyze fulfillment, engagement, and productivity. You can learn more about about us and how we can work together at EliseCortez.com. With us today is Dr. Nate Sensor. He is the Director of Performance Psychology Program at the United States Military Academy at West Point, the most comprehensive mental training program in the country where, since 1992, he has helped prepare cadets for leadership in the U.S. Army. He also has been the sport, the sport psychology mentor for numerous elite athletes, including two-time Super Bowl MVP Eli Manning and the NHL's Phil- Philadelphia Flyers, as well as many Olympians and NCAA champions. He is the author of The Confident Mind, a battle-tested guide to unshakable performance, which we'll be talking about on today's program. He joins us today from the New York Hudson's River Valley area, Dr. Zenser, a.k.a. Dr. Z. Welcome to Working on Purpose. Thank you for the invite, Dr. C. This is a treat. Right, you know it's so great. I've had a, I have had a, I had a gent on the on the show so, four times. He is Dr. C, just like me. So we're gonna have fun with this, right? Okay. So as I told you before we got on the air, uh, Dr. Zinser, I think your book is phenomenal. It's incredibly important, and certainly in the work that I do inside organizations with with leaders, confidence is critical. So we're gonna start the show a little bit backwards, rather than starting with what is confidence. I want to talk about why it's important. So uh, first thing that you say in your book is you say confidence makes one's peak performance possible. And that's why it's of such great importance to anyone who has to step into an arena or deliver their best skill or their best their best performance. Tell us a little bit more about this, this notion of how does it make our, our best peak performance possible? When we are in a state of confidence, when we are in a state of certainty, there is a lot less buzzing around in our brains. Mm -hmm. Fewer thoughts about what might happen, what could happen, what should happen, what should not happen. Anytime we have those uh, vast log of discursive thoughts, anytime that is going around, that's sucking up our bandwidth. That's sucking up our energy. That's making it harder for us to actually pay attention to what does matter, the conversation we're in. The ball Mm -hmm. we're trying to hit. And so by interfering with what's coming in, those thoughts make it harder for us to actually be present. Those thoughts also make it harder for our accumulated memories to go back and pull out from our experience the right response in the moment. Because again, there's all this interference. Mm -hmm. Further, all that discursive thought interferes with the delivery of the proper instructions through our nervous system to our eyes, to our hands, to our feet, to our body, to our mouth, 
in order to deliver the best response in the moment to what is actually out there. That's why a sense of confidence, a sense of certainty is so important. Mm -hmm. And we're going to we're going to peel that back quite a bit as we go along. But next, let's talk about your actual operational definition of confidence. Certainly. I try to put it in a very concrete uh, context for people who actually have to go out there and do things. Most definitions of confidence are rather abstract. They're just sort of conceptual, but they don't really help you function. And my definition is simply this. Confidence is the sense of certainty you have about an ability or a group of abilities, which allows you to execute those abilities basically without thinking very much about them. Basically, act unconsciously. We all have experienced this. We all know what it's like to be automatically tying up our shoelaces, which is a rather complicated process when you actually think about it. But we practiced it, and we got to the point where, oh, I don't have to think about that. So I can be automatic and I can be that way, completely tuned in to what's going on without having to worry about how I'm doing it, whether I'm doing it right or wrong, what the consequences might be. I can stay present while I'm doing any activity if I had developed that sense of certainty about it. Mm -hmm. I find that definition so accessible. Thank you for that. Okay, so next, we ha we can't not talk about this, Dr. Z, right? We have to talk a little bit about the work that you've been doing, training the minds of U.S. Military Academy of Cadets. Amazing. I can't even imagine. My, my brother-in-law uh, is, is a colonel in the U.S. Army, and I can't even imagine the kind of training that he's gone through. So tell us a little bit about that. Okay. Um, I am very privileged to have been an employee for the Department of the Army for the last uh, 30 years, and I'm speaking to your audience today not as a representative of the Army. No, I'm not uh, speaking on behalf of the Army. I'm simply speaking on behalf of a civilian subject matter expert who's been lucky enough to work and support the important work of the Army. Uh, and I have to say, uh, Elise, working at West Point has been the honor of a lifetime. These are young men and women who instead of simply following the path of least resistance and going for something that might be a heck of a lot of fun, they are investing in a very demanding 47-month uh, cadet experience from which they will earn a bachelor's degree and a commission as a second lieutenant in the Army. So they have to be very good in the classroom to get that Bachelor of Science degree. They've got to be very, very fit physically we have mandatory physical fitness training, mandatory fitness testing, all kinds of interesting mandatory courses, boxing, grappling, survival, swimming, you name it. Um, and in addition, we have a full athletic program where these cadets compete on the NCAA Division I stage. So it really is a different experience for these 18 to 22-year-old folks who are going to go on to serve for a minimum of five years in the Army. Many of them serve for 10, 20, 30 years, raising, coming up to the, some of the highest ranks in the Army. Others will leave after their five or their 10 years and take on civilian leadership jobs um, throughout the country. Mm, I got goosebumps the second that you started talking about it being such a privileged role. And I really appreciate that you have that perspective and that you get to literally be part of all of these lives and help steward them forward. It is phenomenal. But wait, there's more. 
<laughs> You've also worked with Olympic athletes and world-class athletes to help them develop critical competence and position them for peak performance, which is crazy. I, in my introduction, I named one of them. Can you give us maybe a couple examples there? Uh, certainly. I was privileged to be a regular consultant to the NHL's Philadelphia Flyers for about 12 seasons. Um, these are very talented men who travel all over the country playing an 80-game schedule, a very fast, very physical sport that requires tremendous physical toughness, but it also requires tremendous mental toughness to try to be at your peak that often, that regularly, um, in the face of you know some hostile crowds. Because let's yep. face it, ladies and gentlemen, um, the enemy gets a vote. Yeah, and this is important to realize. You know, we think of the glamorous experience of 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 a young man playing professional sports. No, it is a grind. Uh, it is difficult. It 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 involves all kinds of challenges. Um, but simply to inform, maybe inspire a little bit, but to educate some of these fellas in how to get the best out of themselves. That last fifteen percent of their performance, which at the world-class level is the difference between first place and 10th place. Mm -hmm. um, this has been my work with so many elite performers over the decades. Mm. Yeah, you know, it's so interesting. When I first, what, well, first let me back up and say, I feel very privileged to get to do the work that I do, to be able to host the show now for seven years. I have met some amazing minds like yours. Um, and I, I'm, I am bettered by that experience, right? I learned from that experience. And, and so, so many of the things that you said in your book, they were, they were novel and new to me. And at first I was like, oh, wait a minute, this is a book. This guy's a military guy. Oh, this guy's a sports guy. But of course, immediately within the first few pages, I realized this is applicable everywhere in life, right? And why I wanted to have you on the show. And so it's just the, the profundity of it for me is, is pretty, pretty intense. Um, so you talked about what confidence is. I wonder, I didn't ask you to think about this, but it might be interesting since you do this in the book. Could you say a little bit about what it isn't? Confidence is not outspoken arrogance. <laughs> and, I and that, that is, line in the book. Yeah, that is something that I think we have a little trouble with in this mm -hmm, world. Mm -hmm. the, the idea, the perhaps stereotype of the confident individual is someone who is loud and brash and calls attention to him or herself. Um, and that's not all that socially appealing for most of us. But the fact of the matter is that confidence, as I described, is the sense of certainty. It's an internal thing. It has nothing to do with how loud or how quiet you might choose to be. So I tell all of my clients and students, and I will tell this, share this with all your listeners, if you happen to be a naturally somewhat introverted, somewhat private, somewhat quiet individual, you can achieve tremendous confidence because it's what you have on the inside. Mm -hmm. It's You can be a very polite and very respectful, modest individual on the outside, okay? But you can have a tremendous sense of power about yourself on the inside. Mm -hmm. um, one of my favorite stories, and I should tell this because it's Winter Olympic time. Right, thank you. Was working with me members of our U.S. bobsled team in preparation for the 2002 Olympic Games in Salt Lake City, uh, now 20 years ago. Um, 
And one of the members of that team, a young lady who won the gold medal in women's bobsled in that Olympic Games, was about the quietest and, you know, shy young lady. But when she stepped out of the sled, having just won the Olympic Games with the crowd going wild and the flags raving, and along comes the commentator from CBS Sports and, and shoves the microphone in, in young Jill Bakken's face and says, well, you know, you weren't the medal favorite and uh, you weren't really supposed to be here. How did you do this? How did you accomplish this? Um, Jill Bakken, in her quiet, modest, respectful way, just said, well, we had confidence and that's what we had to go with. Mm-hmm. You say that in your book, it's beautiful. Yeah, and that's another reason why I so badly wanted to have you on the show because I, as I mentioned um, to your, your, your publicist, you know, in the work that I do inside companies with leaders, there isn't anybody that doesn't suffer from confidence, right? There's, it's just, it's, a, it's like almost a crisis. And sometimes I think it's women suffer more than men, but it's not, that's not really what I found. Um, and so it's so, so important what we're talking about here. And this, this notion of, 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 you also talk about protecting it later in the book as well, which I think is just really powerful. So um, there, there's so much we could talk about here. Um, but before I, I go on, you know, to, to we're gonna, we'll take a quick break here in just a second. Before we do that, though, uh, Dr. C, um, you know, why did you write this book? This is a lot of work. Yeah, this was a lot of work, but I had to write the book because of the number of people who would come into my office and say, gosh, I just don't seem to have any confidence in myself anymore. I used to be, I used to feel pretty good about what I could do and how well I could perform, uh, but it seems to have evaporated. And that was a theme that kept coming up and kept coming up and kept coming up and kept coming up. So I figured I'd put everything I knew about it into between two covers. And so here's the book. Mm -hmm. One of the other things I really appreciate that you say in your book, which we have to say on air here, is that uh, confidence can be developed. It can be learned. It's not something you're either issued with or don't get, right? That's so important that listeners and viewers hear that. Yeah, that is exactly the case. And again, um, the young lady I was just referring to, Jill Bakken, the bobsledder, is a perfect example, okay? Jill Bakken looked me in the eye in December of 2000 and said, I could use a lot more confidence, Dr. Zinser. <laughs> and then 14 months later, she's jumping out of the sled, having just won a gold medal in the Olympics. And when asked, how'd you do it? She said, well, we had confidence. So I guess she grew some in those intervening 14 months. That's an important lesson for people. I don't care how much you do have or how much you don't have. I don't care what aspect of your life you're trying to get some in. You can grow more, build more, cultivate more. It is a skill that you cultivate and build just like your ability to hit a backhand or your ability to do push-ups or your ability to run or your ability to understand uh, some of the dynamics of the periodic table of the elements. Mm -hmm. It's a learnable, practicable skill. Mm -hmm. Great way to send us into the break, Dr. Z. I'm your host, Elise Cortez. We're on the air with Dr. Nate Zinser. He's the author of The Confident Mind, A Battle-Tested Guide to Unshakable Performance. We've been talking a bit about some of his work and why he got into it and how he does it. After the break, we're gonna talk more about some of his methodology to help grow that confidence. Stay with us, we'll be right back. 
Dr. Elise Cortez is a management consultant specializing in meaning and purpose. An inspirational speaker and author, she helps companies visioneer for greater purpose among stakeholders and develop purpose-inspired leadership and meaning-infused cultures that elevate fulfillment, performance, and commitment within the workforce. To learn more or to invite Elise to speak to your organization, please visit her at EliseCortez.com. Let's talk about how to get your employees working on purpose. This is Working on Purpose with Dr. Elise Cortez. To reach our program today or open a conversation with Elise, send an email to Elise, A-L-I-S-E, at EliseCortez.com. Now, back to Working on Purpose. Thanks for staying with us and welcome back to the program. Before we talk again with Dr. Z, I do want to invite you to check out my book. It's called Purpose Ignited, How Inspiring Leaders Ignite Passion and Elevate Cause. It's on Amazon. I wrote it to awaken readers to their passion and purpose and help transform them into inspirational leaders who enliven the workplace and elevate the contribution of business to all its stakeholders. So there's something there for everyone. And I do use the content as a basis for my Vitally Inspired Leadership Program and the Grab Your Gusto Program. So I hope you check it out. If you're just joining the program today, my guest is Dr. Nate Zinzer. He's the Director of Performance Psychology Program at the United States Military Academy at West Point. He's also the author of The Confident Mind, A Battle-Tested Guide to Unshakable Performance. I'm your host, Dr. Elise Cortez. So now let's peel back some of this onion, shall we? Um, let's do that. Let's do it. Let's cook. Um, all right. So first, I want, I want to talk about this really interesting perspective that I, I think that it, it, we have to talk about to, as a foundation. So you say... The truth is this, confidence has rel- relatively little to do with what actually happens to you and pretty much everything to do with how you think about what happens to you. And then you, then you go on to orient us to the idea of confidence like a bank account, which is brilliant. So let's start with that perspective if we can. Certainly. Um, there are innumerable stories of individuals who had a lot of good experiences, a lot of success along the path of their lives. Yet, they still felt incomplete. They still felt insecure. In the words of one gentleman who went on to um, enter the NFL's Hall of Fame, I thought I sucked, despite having a (laughs) remarkable backlog of success, having been drafted high, playing, starting in the NFL, leading the league in a vital statistical category, making a rather nice salary, his successes somehow didn't inform his feelings. And the reason being, because when he thought about himself, his memories flashed back to some of the plays where he was held back, some of the plays where he missed an assignment, the relatively few episodes of mistakes, failure, and setback. Conversely, You can come across some people who have had a lot of setbacks. They have experienced relatively little success in the course of their lives, yet they are very good at thinking about, remembering, hanging on to, lingering upon the memories of their relatively few successes. And hence they feel powerful in the moment and they go into their work and their lives with a great deal of enthusiasm. So it does not matter what happened to you. One of the stories in my book 
is of a tragedy that occurred in the early days of the Iraq war in April of 2003, yep. when a young man that I had counseled at West Point, captain of our lacrosse team, um, now retired Captain John Fernandez, his platoon moving forward towards Baghdad in the early days of the Iraq war suffered from a friendly fire incident. A U.S. plane, an Air Force plane, mistakenly dropped a bomb in the wrong place. Mm -hmm. And that bomb took took off young Lieutenant John Fernandez's legs. And this was a vigorous, physical young man. But he woke up in the hospital and he got the news that two of his soldiers had died in that attack. And he looks down at his legs, or what used to be his legs, and says, uh, I will never feel sorry for myself. I'm going to have a great life. I'm going to have a great life. Here is a man who just suffered a considerable tragedy, yet he re reacted to it with a sense of optimism and purpose. And if you were to meet him and he was wearing long pants, you would never know that he's walking on two prosthetic legs. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's those kinds of stories that teach us it's really not about the events in our lives. It's the perspective we take on them. It is the mm -hmm. classic Stoic philosophy that has meaning for everybody in, in mm -hmm. this world today. That sets us up perfectly to start kind of peeling back that onion we were talking about, the layers. So one of the things that you talk about here, at which I, I, I really appreciate the way you set the whole book up, but you talked to us about the importance of building the effective mental filter to capture those valuable past deposits. So you're talking about these events that occurred in the past. So I, I think that if you could just say a bit more about how we can, you know, construct, consider, and develop that, that filter for those past events, Certainly. to handle those past events. You know, we all have the ability to pull certain memories back from our storehouse of experience. I'm simply asking people to be somewhat selective mm -hmm. and somewhat careful about the memories that they bring into their consciousness time and time again. I urge people to think about your most fulfilling moment in your work, in your sport, in your relationships, what are the moments that stand out as being very fulfilling and memorable? Let's put a list of those together. I call it the top 10 for obvious reasons. Let's list those top 10 memories. Let's post that list somewhere where we will see it and be reminded of the things that we can take pride in, the things that give, indeed give our lives meaning. Those 10 memories to me are like 10 big fat checks that have been written out to you, which you walk down to your local bank with and ask the teller, um, may I please open an account? Here's my deposits. And now you create a storehouse, a repository of memories that give you a sense of purpose and enthusiasm and optimism. That's how we start this process mm -hmm. to create a mental bank account. You know, you're reminding me just now in this moment, Dr. Z, of uh, a great movie, and listeners and viewers can connect this. Cinderella Man, Russell Crowe's going in for the big fight. What does his coach and trainer do? He strolls into the room and he starts recounting all these great past successes. Who was it, by the way, that beat so-and-so? Oh, that was me, right? That's what you're talking about. That's what I'm talking about. And if we give it a moment's thought, every one of us can come up with that top 10 list. Mm -hmm. And all, all that is required is the will. 
You have the cap, the capacity. That free will is built into us as human beings. And all you need is a little bit of desire to look for the best in yourself. We construct that initial top 10 list, and then we take that same process, but we put it into use day by day. Mm-hmm. We make daily, go next. Yes. Yeah, daily deposits into that mental bank account. At the end of the day, it can be as you leave the office, as before you retire for the evening, take out a pencil and take out a notebook and write down, where did you put some quality effort in today? Where did you resist procrastination? What did you get done that was maybe a pain in the rear, but you got it done because they knew you had to get it done? You should acknowledge that. You should record that little episode of effort and then record an episode of some kind of success. What did you get right? It doesn't have to be a big thing, but what did you get right? What is the point that you made in the conversation with your boss or with your teammate? What is the drill that you performed well in in your sport team practice? What little thing did you get right? Scribble that down. And then think about maybe today, yesterday, the day before. What does it seem like you're getting a little bit better with? Where are you making progress? So you record an episode of effort, an episode of success, an episode of progress. That's your daily ESP. Those are the ways you make daily deposits into your bank account. And now you are building up a storehouse of memories that can make you more certain about yourself in your next performance moment. Gorgeous, gorgeous. I wanna throw something else out for our listeners and viewers as well to build on that in the world of, of just the world of corporate work. Uh, so I there's a, I work with several leaders who then do what they call a brag session. So they take their successes and they socialize them with their boss. So that so their boss knows the kind of work that they're doing, what they're proud of, and then the boss has stuff to be able to share back up into the through the organization to help develop their careers. So I love your it's the what did you call that? The ESP? Daily ESP? Daily ESP. Daily ESP. Listeners and viewers hit it. Okay, so we covered the past. We've, we're, we just covered the present. You know we got to go next, and that is the future. So uh, I really appreciate that um, you talk about the importance of spending 15 minutes a day, just 15 minutes a day, envisioning your ideal future. Absolutely. Um, and I got to say, Dr. C, your use of the word visioneering, I love. Okay? we In a way, we time travel into the future all the time. Mm-hmm. But, but unfortunately, a lot of our time travels take us to destinations that we really don't want to go. Um, yeah. We have the capability to envision, to imagine, to create scenes, still shots, short video clips of the experiences that we would really like to have. And I'll tell you, ladies and gents, it's fun to do that. You can be the director of a great short movie in which you are making progress towards a promotion, in which you are gaining skill uh, in a sport or a physical activity, in which you are making progress in the course of study for the law student, the medical student, the business student. It's very desirable to actually imagine yourself doing the things that you need to do tomorrow and next week, and also imagine the outcome that you want. And interestingly enough, your nervous system, when you carefully envision with a lot of detail, full color, surround sound, 
the smells, the tastes, the, the sense of movement. When you envision that, your nervous system responds to those pictures very much the same way the nervous system responds to actual repetitions of those mm -hmm. actions. In a way, your nervous system doesn't know the difference between what you vividly experience in your imagination and what you actually experience in the so-called real world. And that is why athletes especially have made use of this to get themselves extra repetitions of a particular technique or skill that they're trying to build. And they envision winning that final set at the Australian Open or the U.S. Open. They envision that two-minute drive that scores the touchdown in the Super Bowl. You can bet that every member on the Los Angeles Rams and the Cincinnati Bengals preparing for the upcoming Super Bowl have received a detailed scouting report and know what they're going to be looking at, and they are very disciplined about seeing carefully in their imagination exactly how they want their execution in certain situations to be. I found that really, really compelling, uh, Dr. C, in your in your book. Uh, I'd already, I already do visualizations on a daily basis, but I wasn't doing them nearly to the level that you describe in your book with all the senses and really playing it out and just being in that moment. So I, I started doing that. Thank you very much for that gift. We'll see. Well, let's see what, what, what happens for me. Okay, let's. Okay. Um, all right, now the next thing I want to have before we go on our, our, last, our last break here is you talk about the importance to constantly protect our confidence. And you mentioned a few ways we can do that. Let's share those with our listeners and viewers. Absolutely. Let's face it, ladies and gentlemen, confidence is fragile. Mm -hmm. It doesn't last forever. This mental bank account of yours is constantly under attack from the fact that you, as a human being, are imperfect, prone to error, that you are surrounded by other human beings who are also imperfect and prone to error. So there are going to be setbacks, mistakes, simple human imperfection. Those experiences, if you allow them, can sort of suck away your bank account like a thief. So we have to protect them. So I offer three ways of looking at those inevitable setbacks and episodes of imperfection so that you don't get caught in the, uh-oh, here I go again, or, oh, my whole day is going down the drain, or eh, maybe I'm not good enough for this job or this experience. Okay, here they go. First, you got to look at those mistakes and those setbacks as temporary. Mm -hmm. Yes, they happened. Yeah, they happened, but they only happened that one time or that two times or those three times. They're temporary as opposed to, oh, they're going to keep happening over and over and over again. You can put them in that time box. They're temporary. Yep. Se second point, you can treat them as limited in terms of where they occurred. Yeah, it happened, but it happened there in that place. My poor drive happened on that hole of that course. And the fact that that drive was poor has nothing to do with my ability to drive the ball well on other holes, nor does it have anything to do with my ability to swing my short irons, my long irons, my chips, and my putts, and do all that very well. The mistake is limited in where it happened. Third, and I think for a lot of folks, this may be the toughest but most important one of all. Those mistakes are not representative of who you are, what you can do, 
what kind of person you are. They are they don't tell the whole truth. Right. We have a weird tendency in our world to over identify with our mistakes and our setbacks as opposed to saying, yeah, it happened, but that wasn't really me. I have a different sense of myself. That mistake doesn't tell the truth. I'm not going to identify with it. I could even say, yeah, well, it happened, but boy, it's sort of a weird fluke. And the truth about me is much different. Those are three ways of protecting your confidence. Oh, no, Dr. Zinsser, that's just beautiful. So, so accessible, too. Let's take our last break. I'm your host, Dr. Elise Cortez. We've been on the air with Dr. Nate Zinsser. He's the author of The Confident Mind, a battle test battle-tested guide to unshakable performance. We've been talking a bit about some of his techniques that he uses with some of the people, with all the people that he works with. After the break, we're going to learn just a few more and figure out how you can actually use this to distinguish yourself in the world. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Dr. Elise Cortez is a management consultant specializing in meaning and purpose. An inspirational speaker and author, she helps companies visioneer for greater purpose among stakeholders and develop purpose-inspired leadership and meaning-infused cultures that elevate fulfillment, performance, and commitment within the workforce. To learn more or to invite Elise to speak to your organization, please visit her at EliseCortez.com. Let's talk about how to get your employees working on purpose. This is Working on Purpose with Dr. Elise Cortez. To reach our program today or open a conversation with Elise, send an email to Elise, A-L-I-S-E, at EliseCortez.com. Now, back to Working on Purpose. Thanks for staying with us and welcome back to Working on Purpose. One other bit of news that I have to share is a few months ago, the, the anthology that I've been curating came to, to be released. It's a collection of 25 stories from women across the globe who share their intimate details of finding their purpose, what they're doing now to serve from it. It's called Passionately Striving and Why, an anthology of women who persevere mightily to live their purpose. And now I'm out scouting for men across the globe who want to share how they're living from their purpose and, and want to share their stories. So if you know someone or you have one, please contact me at EliseCortez.com. If you're just joining us, my guest is Dr. Nate Zinser. He's the Director of Performance Psychology Program at the United States Military Academy at West Point. He also has been the sports psychology mentor for numerous elite athletes, including two-time Super Bowl MVP Eli Manning and the NHL's Philadelphia Flyers, as well as many Olympians and NCAA champions. For this last bit, we're going to talk a bit, a bit more about a few other techniques and tools that you can use and also talk about really how you can use this to distinguish yourself. So we have to start there, Dr. Sensor. I, I have to read a passage that you have in your book toward the end that I think is so compelling. And now I really see how, how you open the show fits this beautifully. So here it goes. You say, the belief above all else play to win and the other alternative beliefs discussed previously are indeed different from what your what your socialization may have taught you, which as we, we said before, it may be that confidence is arrogant and therefore to be avoided. But let's remember that the purpose of socialization is to encourage conformity and the continued existence of the prevailing social order. Its purpose is not to help you discover the full extent of your talents and abilities. If you're a little hung up on thinking differently from the crowd, the very thing that socialization exists to support, you're likely to remain in that crowd. You'll be normal, but is that what you really want? Thank you for that wonderful lead-in. I couldn't, I couldn't not 
include that in the book. In my my early training in sports psychology, literally the very first course that I took with my mentor, Dr. Bob Rotella at the University of Virginia, he opened up and said, sports psychology is about resisting socialization. Mm. Sport, you know, the idea, the psychology of being a great performer really involves identifying all the things that you might have been told about how to be a good person, how to be a right person, that may be counterproductive to the to the expression of your talent, to the fulfillment of your potential, to really finding and delivering on your purpose in life. Certainly, we live in a social world, and we observe social norms. But beyond doing so, just at a minimal level to ensure survival and courtesy, then a lot of what we've learned about performance, confidence, thinking, training, actually goes contrary to what really works in the real world and what great performers actually do. You know, you've probably heard a coach or maybe you were even told yourself that the team that makes the fewest mistakes in the game wins. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, we've all heard that. And on the surface, it makes a lot of sense. Certainly, if you make a lot of mistakes, you're likely to lose. But when you think about that, what that statement actually does, the team that makes the fewest mistakes is going to win. You're going to go out there and let's face it, I don't care who you are, you know, Serena Williams, Tom Brady, Bill Gates, um, you're going to have a few below average days. Mm-hmm. And even if you're Serena Williams, you're going to have a few below average games. So if your belief is that the person who makes the fewest mistakes wins, and then you have one of those inevitable mistakes, you have just doomed yourself to a sense of failure. Mm-hmm. So how about embracing the notion, let's go all out to win. It's the team that plays great between their inevitable episodes of mistakes and setbacks. That's the team that's going to win. It's not the team that makes the fewest mistakes. It's the team that plays great between the inevitable mistakes. It's changing some of those beliefs um, that I think are really important to help our potential actually become expressed in this world. Oh, you know, that's just gorgeous for me. In fact, you set, you set this up so beautifully because a lot of the work that I do, Dr. Zinser, with leaders and organizations is we have to unpack all those beliefs that have informed their choices, their decisions, and how they think of themselves in order to replace them with, with more uh, ones that will actually allow them to be able to live their best and, and, and serve from their purpose. So the way that you, un- you set that up for that for us is just gorgeous. So, so, so important. And I couldn't help but, but read that, that passage. We could go on and on, but I refer to them as the seven deadly sins of socialization. And then, <laughs> and and there's some, you know, seven empowering beliefs. You know, instead of above above all else, be careful, don't mess up. It's no play to win, play to win, play to win. Instead of always be constantly searching for the next little tiny bit of information. How about having faith in a couple of things that you do really, really well? Mm-hmm. Okay? Mm-hmm. Instead of, you know, the idea that you have to put certain people up on a pedestal, 
well, how about understanding that every human is vulnerable, every human is fallible, and even the people that you might have to compete against who seem bulletproof, hey, they're really just like you. Right. They, come, they come from a big town like you or a small town like you. They like the game, they like the action, and they like to win. And so it's very important to keep them in their most human, most beatable, most vulnerable perspective. Um, I'll offer this somewhat offbeat advice to all your listeners. If you're the least bit intimidated by a competitor, by an opponent, or a potential competitor, a potential opponent, go ahead and use your imagination in an interesting way. What does that person look like in the very early morning when they crawl out of bed and their eyes are all crusty and they sort of wander in the bathroom and pick up the toothbrush and start brushing their pee teeth, pee peering into the mirror, and the toothpaste is running down their chin. I don't know anybody who looks really impressive that way. That's so true. What a great image. Thank you for that. Uh, all right. So since we're, we're going to give a couple more uh, techniques and tools here before we close here. So you talk about playing a confident game using the pre-shot routine. Let's hear more about that. Absolutely. The, the idea before you perform is to find a sense of comfort, to find a sense of ease with yourself. And the routine that, that I advise is sort of a template that everybody can customize and, and work in their own level is consists of three things. You got to bring up a little bit of your conviction. Mm -hmm. you've, you've been storing up a lot of these memories through your daily ESP, et cetera, et cetera. You've been envisioning good things about yourself. So how about as you are stepping into that room to take the final exam um, in your college course, or you're stepping onto the court to play that tennis match, how about you just taking a second and queuing up some of those powerful memories mm -hmm. and, and having a phrase in your back pocket that you've practiced, like, this is my time. Here we go. Let's see how great I can be at this moment. And then you take a couple of breaths and then you put your eyes where they need to be, on the ball, on the paper, on your opponent, you allow yourself to become sort of fascinated by the most important thing in the competitive performance arena. For the surgeon, it's the anatomy that he or she is sealing right in front of him. For the tennis player, it's the ball as it moves. For the wrestler, it's the opponent's body. For the speaker, it's the look in the audience, the way they are connected to him or her. Cue up your confidence breathe into your body, attach your awareness to what matters. And that's a little process that anybody can use and customize throughout a performance. Mm -hmm. Thank you for that. I, will, I always like to be able to give our listeners something they can immediately put to, it, put to use. And that's one, one of the many things that you've shared. But then there's also the after action review. <laughs> yes, this is something that a lot of people miss out upon. Um, ladies and gentlemen, the game's not over when the clock runs down or you know the final bell rings the test is not over when you hand in the paper or close the program you know for the online test that you've been taking the performance only ends once you've learned everything there is to learn from it so looking at your performance at the end of the day 
for all of us daily workday nine to five white collar athletes at the end of the um, tennis match at the end of the football game you've got to take some time to look back upon it and ask yourself a few questions where was i effective where was i ineffective how was my state of mind what things threw me off my game how did i get back on my game those are all the what's what actually happened and you got to be your own best friend and your own harshest critic at this point in order to get out what actually happened that's the first part of the aar the second part is to ask yourself the question well okay so what does all that mean what are the lessons that i can take from my performance what does it tell me about my strengths and my weaknesses i've got to take those lessons they can become very important they can become new affirmation statements for me they can become new deposits into my mental bank account and then the third part is okay now that i know what the lessons are from what actually happened what am i going to do with it what am i going to train what am i going to practice what am I going to get a little bit better in anticipation of my next performance opportunity? So in this way, we extract all the possible value from each day as we go forward in life, from each performance as we go forward. And in so doing, we get to find the things that can build our certainty in a constant, steady, upward trajectory. Mm, fantastic way to get to give us a, a tool here to finish on here, uh, Dr. Zenser. So I have just two more questions. We, we're almost out of time, but I'm a, I've been a meeting and work researcher for a good 20 plus years. And so I'm always interested to understand, and you opened it already in the show somewhat, but now that we've heard more about you, um, what are you, what do you find meaningful in your work? What are you most proud of in the work that you've gotten to do? Um, I am most proud of the moments when a student, be it a West Point cadet, be it a professional athlete, uh, be it a 14-year-old kid who has an inkling about how great she'd like to be in the game of golf, when they suddenly shift their understanding and say, oh, that's pretty, that's good stuff, Doc. I never thought about it that way. It's just seeing those little moments of illumination. Mm -hmm. That is where I get my meaning. My purpose is to create those moments of illumination for the people I'm fortunate enough to work with. Mm, gorgeous. That sounds fantastic. Uh, all right. So we've, we've gone through the, 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 the whole show already. It's crazy how fast it goes. You know that this show is listened to and watched by people all over the world. And we're all about trying to create environments where people actually want to come to work to their best. We create inspirational leaders who bring them to their best and we do business that betters the world. What would you like to leave our listeners with? I'd like your listeners to remember that they have a choice about how they are going to think about themselves and their lives. Nothing is written in stone. Nothing is preordained. You have a choice. And it's your responsibility to yourself to make a constructive, useful choice. And if you're part of a team, part of an organization, it's your responsibility to that team, to that organization, to make those kinds of choices. You have that capability of choosing built into you take advantage of that use it and i will finish with the quote that i actually start the book with a famous philosopher once said that the victorious warriors are the ones who win first and then go to battle the losing warriors are those who go into battle and then hope to win 
Ladies and gentlemen, what kind of warrior do you want to be? Thank you so much for this time, Dr. Cortez. It's been a pleasure. I'm really grateful that you crossed my path, Dr. Zinser. I really, I loved your book. I devour my books cover to cover, and you taught me so very much, and I wanted to pass it on to listeners and viewers across the world to help them be able to realize their best and, and also live from their purpose. So thank you very much for being with me. Thank you, indeed. Best wishes to all your listeners for a wonderful 2022. Indeed. Indeed. If you want to learn more about Dr. Nate Zinser, his book, or the work he does, just start by going to natezinser.com. Let me spell that for you. N-A-T-E-Z-I-N-S-S-E-R.com. Natezinser.com. Last week, if you missed the live show, you can always catch it via recorded podcast. We were on there with Dr. Alicia Hare. She's the founder of Turnasol and the author of a beautiful collection of books called The Unfolding Path, A Way to Live and Lead in Our Times. Next week, we'll be on the air with Lori Van talking about the real problem of burnout in the workplace and how many employees in this period of the Great Resignation are looking for companies to work for who will honor their well-being. See you there. Remember that work is at least a third of our lives, so let's work on purpose. We hope you've enjoyed this week's program. Be sure to tune in to Working on Purpose, featuring your host, Dr. Elise Cortez, each week on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Together, we'll create a world where business operates conscientiously, leadership inspires impassioned performance, and employees are fulfilled in work that provides the meaning and purpose they crave. See you there. Let's work on purpose.